Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Out of the Question podcast, where my guest and I will discuss his recent book, Woked Up, with a subtitle, Finally Putting an Axe to the Taproot of White Supremacy and Racism in America. Kevin McGarry is an entrepreneur, having spent much time in the IT industry. He is also an author and public speaker. He serves as co-founder of the organization Every Black Life Matters, which came into existence to combat the worldview and practices of Black Lives Matter, which none of us can say we haven't experienced the propaganda around that. He is also chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California. Woked Up is his fifth book, and its primary focus is to give an accurate account of the roots of critical race theory and wokeness that can be easily traced if you care to look. Kevin, thanks for joining me today. Wow. Thank you for having me, Andrea. It's a real honor and privilege for me to be here with you. Okay. So let's start off with some definitions. I remember early on having little to no idea what people meant when they said someone was woke. It was kind of like politically correct back when that started being used. Do you want to be politically correct or do you not want to be politically correct? Do you want to be woke or not? So let's start there. Give me a good working definition of what it means to be woke. Uh, well, a good working definition, Andrea, for woke as a, it's, it's really an amorphous term, right? It, it, it continues to evolve. Uh, fundamentally, it's basically trying to point to, are you, uh, uh, cognizant and sensitive to culture? Are you cognizant and sensitive to racism? to uh, the plight of various ethnicities, to um, what they would call white supremacy, to uh, are you cognizant of the plight of the trans folks? Are you cognizant of environmentalism? As you could see, it's a big old bucket of <laughs> leftist progressive, uh, you know, a lot of the, 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 the trends and, and the schemes that leftist progressives want to really try to influence culture with is really the extent to which you are woke. If you do support these various things and say that, yeah, oh yeah, I'm, I'm all in, you know, with, with the trans movement and with environmentalism and absolutely I stand against white supremacy, then you're woke. You're, you're, you're aware. You, you, you know what's happening. But, you know, again, this, this continues to it's an amorphous term that continues to evolve and get bigger, and it's not a—it's not really something you can put your hand on. Now, what you can put your hand on is for those who are dissenters of the woke movement. Those who are dissenters of the woke movement are castigated as white supremacists, racist, privileged. Uh, you know, they need to be canceled. They need to be doxxed. Uh, they need to be uh, disparaged. They need to be dismissed. Uh, those are the things that are the outcomes for those who have, are dissenting voices from any of these 
sort of leftist progressive types of, of, of things that they want to push on culture? So it all depends on who's defining the term. And I remember back in 2020, as you started seeing, I'm in the Bay Area, so you could go past churches and they would have signs, Black Lives Matter. People were saying it. And my thought was, well, every life matters. Well, that turned out I got castigated for that because as soon as I said all lives matter, which I thought, yeah, well, that's a biblical Christian perspective. Right. It proved how wrong I was. Yeah. And so and and we get this question. This is wonderful that you're you're sort of bringing this this whole subject matter up because we get this we get asked this a lot. Well, you're 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 a minister and you and Neil, you guys do ministry. Aren't you don't you believe that all lives matter and every life matters? And we say, absolutely. Then they say, well, why are you every black life matters? And and what we confirm with them is that's exactly what we're saying with every black life matters. What we're saying is all lives matter. Every single life matters. And uh, but then they look at us kind of, you know, like, wait a minute, you're saying every black life matters, but you're saying all lives matter. So let me let me just give you a brief description for your listeners here. Sure. Here's the deal. Margaret Sanger, when she said, look, we don't want the word to get out, but we want to fully exterminate the Negro population. She didn't say, I want to exterminate blacks and Hispanics. I want to exterminate blacks and Asians. I want to exterminate blacks and Native Americans. No, no, no. She said, I want to utterly exterminate all blacks. So uh, the outcome of that is blacks make up over 40 percent of all abortions in America while only representing a fraction of the population as far as, uh, you know, women and childbearing age. So what we're saying with every black life matters, we're saying every black life matters to T-O-O. If you put T-O-O at the end, it maybe it makes a little bit more sense. What we're saying is instead of targeting blacks in the womb for extermination by virtue of the abortuaries around the country, can we at least, you know, be born at the same rate that every other ethnicity is? So that's what we're we're illuminating something with our uh, sort of borrowing from the, the BLM movement, a little bit of their their moniker, and then changing and reforming it and repurposing it so we can really bring out the issues of black plight. We do have black plight. It is first and foremost in the womb. And then we have these other plights that are still uh, you know, disproportionately targeting the black community that we can talk about later. But, but the point is, is that we say every black life matters again in your mind, say TOO, because we're saying all lives matter. Let us be born at the same rate that everybody else is. And then people say, well, of course you can be born at the same rate. It's your choice. And I tell, tell them, no, 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 not so fast. The deal is this 90% of all Planned Parenthoods in the country are within walking distance of black and brown communities. Now, why is that? And then they look at me, well, maybe it's supply and demand. And then I explain to them, well, hey, hey, okay, if it's all about women's rights and women generally, why are they targeting only 3% of a demographic with 90% of their resources? And then I go into the actual stats. Blacks make up 13% of the population. Of that, 6.5% are women, right? Half of the blacks are women, right? And then of that, half of them are childbearing age, 15 to 44, 3.25% at best. And 90% of all Planned Parenthood resources for a 3.2% demographic? Are you kidding me? 
right. business would go under if you did such a preposterous you know, thing, right? Exactly. I was listening to one of your interviews and you pointed out that uh, Walmart and Target place their stores where women will tend to congregate. So Absolutely. if you were really going to just say, we're helping women, Planned Parenthoods would be near every Walmart and Target. Absolutely. And, and the demographic research has already been done. You, you know, Planned Parenthood, and you have to, you know, they don't have to go out and do any more market research and figure out where to plant them. Look, just go on the backside of every Walmart or Target in the country. Boom. There you go. Women congregate there. They know where that is in their local cities. And you've got your active uh, women generally uh, would come and, 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 and use the services. Why are you targeting blacks? And so that's why we're saying every black life matters. We're trying to illuminate that because indeed, all lives matter. So therefore, no particular demographic should be targeted for extermination uh, per Margaret Sanger or any of the other depopulationists, which would include Bill Gates and his dad and that whole thing uh, that are currently around. So anyway, that, that's that's where that comes from. Right. Now, I remember because I know your co-founder, Neil Mammon, and uh, of Every Black Life Matters. And I imagine when you guys show up at places people automatically assume you're BLM because <laughs> yeah, that's which great. I think is it's kind of like the strategy where many crisis or community pregnancy centers set up shop right next to Planned Parenthoods because that's where people congregate. What happens? I'm just kind of curious when people think they're interacting with somebody who's woke BLM and they hear your message. Yeah. So what we the, the real good part of our message is everybody and anybody should be able to get on with it. OK, so even if you're a diehard BLMer and and support BLM, you know, with with finances, which would be a mistake because of the fraud malfeasance going on there. But but let's say you're just you're all in. Right. So here's the thing. Our message doesn't compete with BLM. It, it, let me say it this this way. Black Lives Matter is a general statement. So before anyone could stand before you and try to get you to bow, and kneel, and bark and roll over and all the other craziness they were having folks do, uh, you could stand flat footed right in front of them and say, look, 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 wait a minute. For me and my family, every single black life matters. And then you could ask them, now, does every single black life matter to you? And what that does is it puts, first of all, it puts them on the defense but they would be an absolute hypocrite if they stand before you and say black lives matter, but every single black life doesn't matter. I mean, it's right. just, it's, it's preposterous. So it really gives us now the, 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 the talking point and it gives us the, the ability now to uh, take the conversation where we need to, which is look, uh, it's fine that you say black lives matter. That's great. We all believe that sentiment, but we all also should believe before we even believe that generally, we should definitely believe that every single black life matters. And that's that's when we consider, uh, you know, coming against the abortuaries that are targeting the black community, uh, where we consider that from conception to the grave in every phase of black life, uh, that that's important, not just police brutality. Exactly. So in your subtitle, you use the word taproot getting to the taproot of white supremacy and racism in America. And you go all the way back to Charles Darwin and Karl Marx, and you draw a line from them to other notorious characters, such as Margaret Sanger, 
Vladimir Lenin, Adolf Hitler, as well as many other modern-day players. Why did you take that approach? That's a great question, Andre. So here, here's the thing. Um, I was th- th- This book, Woke Up, really came out of my sincere uh, desire to really get kind of getting to the root of, of the matter here. Because everywhere we go, we hear people, we hear and see people pointing, the wokesters, pointing at any dissenting voices and, and again, calling them white supremacist, privileged, racist, all, all of these things. And I just wanted to know, well, is there any at all credence to, you know, to this? Uh, just because I'm conservative or just because I happen to vote a particular way or just because I happen to live in a particular area. Why am I now castigated, you know, and and really with all of these horrible pejoratives uh, for me and my family? Uh, how does this make sense? And so I started actually looking at everybody understands that wokeism is rooted in Marxism. So anybody that's woke, uh, they're they're definitely uh, sympathetic to Marx and Marx's uh, you know ideas, and uh, and that's what the the whole thing is rooted in. Okay, so I don't think you can get a, I don't think you even get an argument from the wokesters on that. That's that's just it. So I started there, and then I you know for me I'm I'm really sensitive to to the spirit, and I really felt the still small voice saying, "Uh, uh-uh, son, mm-mm. no." Uh, Karl Marx actually had a mentor. He had somebody that heavily influenced him with his ideals. You need to start there. And so I I went to Marx and and Engels, their earlier works, and I saw that they were all dedicated to Charles Robert Darwin. And so I said, oh, wow, okay, well, let's look at Darwin. And and I took a look at Darwin's work, his first book on natural selection. Uh, The subtitle was For the Preservation of Most Favored Races. And I'm thinking... Uh oh, this is really interesting. And I, you know, in all my studies of Darwin and in all of the talks in, in school and in high school and even in college, I've never heard that subtopic. Why? <laughs> uh, but anyway, and then you look at his second book and he goes into elaborate detail on what that means. He start and his second book is the descent of man. He goes into detail by saying, look, here's the deal. Uh, we, we whites, we have a fully evolved. We're, we're the first race to have fully evolved. We're at the top of the food chain, so to speak. Uh, we have intellectual capacity well above everybody else. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's a supremacist statement. In other words, whites are supreme, whites, Caucasians, European, whatever you want to call it. But he was saying we're supreme. We're much more resourceful than any other ethnicity. He says, oh, and by the way, if you take a look at blacks, you can see uh, you know, my evolution at work. You, you blacks are subhuman. They're still trying to climb the evolutionary scale. They're subhuman still, uh, closely associated with apes, gorillas, and savages. And so he makes that grandiose leap that blacks are gorillas, apes, and savages. And I'm thinking, okay, now this guy is heralded and he is esteemed to this very day. And he, you know, he, he made this this huge distinction of white supremacy and racism and one fell swoop in the descent of man. And so he is the taproot. Now, some people would say, look, Kevin, come on now. We've always had white supremacy and we've always had, you know, racism. And I I tell him, no, 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 we didn't. Uh, did we have ethnic strife? Absolutely. Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, we've had the malady of the heart that would, you know, be partial. Right. Um, so we've had ethnic strife, we've had tribalism, we've had all of these things. When people ran into each other from a different geography, they would feel potentially uncomfortable, 
Um, they would feel, you know, lack of kinship. They would distrust them for a period of time. That's just, that's just what was happening. But here's the, here's the distinction. Uh, and also we had slavery. Some people point to slavery. Well, Darwin's work didn't come out until the middle of slavery and, uh, you know, towards the end of slavery. And I, and I tell him, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was, it was in the mid 1800s when he started to write and do a lot of his research and stuff. But, but here's the deal. Uh, slavery, uh, those people, who enslaved people, it was economic opportunism. It was not, first and foremost, hey, these people are subhuman. Let's go to Africa and get some subhumans, and let's bring them here and then relegate them to our every whim. As a matter of fact, it wasn't that at all. The white Europeans who went to Africa understood very well that blacks were not subhuman. You don't negotiate with subhumans. Uh, when they arrived on the African continent, they realized that, first of all, it was a huge jungle and it was tribal and it was very, very dangerous. And so they actually had to get a kinship with various uh, warlords and tribal leaders. The tribal leaders explained to them, look, we, you know, we got some folks that we took from these, these competing tribes. Uh, you know, you want to buy them? And these white Europeans said, whoa, this is great. <laughs> yeah, I'll take them. And, and so and so they li- literally negotiated with people that Darwin said were subhuman. So you don't negotiate with subhumans. You just, you just relegate them, right? You just take them. Um, so that proves right there that blacks were not subhuman. But anyway, um, so, so, so here's the deal. We had, you know, just tribalism and ethnic strife prior to Darwin making that distinction. Now, when Darwin made the distinction, here's what happened. They said, Oh, yeah. Well, this, this, okay. Now I feel perfectly fine as a as a white Southern Baptist preacher uh going to preach on Sunday and then uh you know raping and 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 pillaging my slaves Monday through through Saturday because you know guess what they're still subhuman God's not going to hold me responsible for that that was a whole new way of thinking that was not apparent before Darwin had he was a renowned scientist applauded worldwide and uh, he built in an anthropological and ontological distinction for white supremacy and racism that did not exist prior to him making that distinction. And I've also heard it said that, yes, we can lay a lot of this on Charles Darwin. However, people were ready to hear Darwinism, which initially was, in terms of a biological model, applied socially and apparently his book sold out very quickly because you had people looking for a justification for their sin. Absolutely. It was perfect for people, right? Um, uh, you know, Darwin really allowed the evil malady of their hearts to be enriched because he let them off the hook. He says, look, no, 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 no. These people, they're subhuman. They're gorillas, apes. You don't have to worry about them. You can, you can rape them. You can pillow. Yeah. They're still trying to climb it. Nothing's going to be held against you. And and by the way, there is no God. So ah, don't even worry about it. Um, exactly. Yeah, you know, so yeah, absolutely. And so he gave scientific justification for racism and white supremacy. And from that time, it has persisted. As a matter of fact, his, his mentees, which would be Marx and Engels, uh, they carried that mindset into their economic philosophies and social philosophies. And, and to this day, we are trying to, you know, really unravel and come out of white supremacy and racism that's really infused in our culture. I mean, it is huge and it's dominant 
throughout our culture, not from the side that you would normally expect. Literally, it's there from the people that are woke. And I, right. can, I can say that unequivocally because of the roots of wokeism. It's right. rooted so let me- in Marxism, which is rooted in Darwinism, and it's inescapable, folks. Okay. So, you so, know. so let me go on here for a second because yeah. you also okay. pointed out Darwin considered women of lesser capability than men. I don't know that he went so far and said women were subhuman, but he certainly didn't have a high opinion of them. And isn't it ironic that you have women, black women, protesting their body, their choice? They don't even realize they're doing the bidding of people who expressly hated them. And on top of that, wanted to get rid of them. And I think, I don't think Marx or Engels coined this term. I think it was Lenin. They become useful idiots. Yeah, that was definitely Lenin's term. Absolutely, Andrea. That's a wonderful, wonderful point. Here's the other thing. So, so Darwin was not only, uh, responsible for, and, and when I say responsible, I mean, he gave anthropological and ontological distinction for atheism, for racism and white supremacy, and for sexism and misogyny. Now, the way that he did that is in his Descent of Man, he said, look, I, you know, as an esteemed scientist, I've looked at the uh, cranial cavities of all these different species and and genders, and I realize, uh, and and sexes, rather, and I realize that, uh, you know, females, the female sexes, you know, their cranial cavity is much, much smaller than men. He didn't even take into consideration physiology or anything like that. And so he says, look, they're ob- that makes it obvious that their intellectual capacity is much less than that of men. Now, what did that do? Remember the women's suffrage movement when women just wanted the right to vote. The reason why they had to fight so hard, that would be Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass, the, the pioneers of women's suffrage in America. The reason why they had to fight so hard uh, to get those basic rights just to be able to vote is men really thought, hey, what are you talking about? You, you don't even understand. Your, your intellectual capacity is much But How are we going to let you guys vote? You know, Are you kidding me? Get in the, get in the kitchen. And, um, and so that's where that caricature and that trope comes from. It literally comes from Darwin. Now, absolutely, you're absolutely right when you say, look, we have so many men, and especially black women, that after the Roe v. Wade thing was overturned, they were really trying to focus in on the black community and talking to black women. Uh, I was, I was livid and, and I got a couple of like Reuters did, did an interview with me and I got a couple of others and I, I said, I'm sorry. I said, look, you know, <laughs> you know, we have these, these, these women out here that are hair on fire, shrill and hysterical about Roe v. Wade. They don't even realize they're being used because, you know, abortion is, 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 is not a, uh, you know, something to be proud of is something to be moaned, and it's something that is sexist, misogynistic, and racist. And uh, and so I was able to go into a little bit of detail when I was making those statements. But they did, they wanted to stay away from it. They thought that I, as a black man, would would cosign and would say, "Yeah, you know, we you know we taken away women's rights." Use and I I set them straight. I said, "Look, this is this is ridiculous. You have all these black women up here. They don't even know how you know." idiotic and shrill they're looking at the moment okay so you identified yourself i mean i was about to point out since this is an audio interview that you are a person of dark skin and 
as a Christian man, you know that that superficial characteristic is not what defines you. And in the book of Acts, Paul makes it very clear when he's talking to the people in Greece that we're all of one blood. So where do you think the people who espouse this, do you think they know that there really aren't actual differences like you have DNA, I have DNA, you have arms and legs, I have arms and legs, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think it's purposely to destroy the message of Christianity, which says, repent of your sins, ask God for forgiveness, ask other people for forgiveness, and then we can have unity. Do you think the point is to not have unity? Absolutely. Uh, that's a, that's a great point. So let me, let me just expound on that a little bit. So here's the deal. The whole idea is if you are a Darwinist, you are an atheist. If you are a Marxist, you're an atheist. Matter of fact, Karl Marx said, look, I don't, I don't even want to deal with anybody that's a, that purports to have any kind of faith. You can't have any kind of faith and, and, and be a follower of mine or be a Marxist revolutionary. You have got to reject, you know, the opiate of the masses, which he, he, he felt was, you know, religion and faith. And uh, so, so, but, and so what we're seeing is we have a lot of people that have rejected faith. If you are a person of faith, here's the fundamentals. God created one man and one woman from the beginning, Adam and Eve. And from that, we all came from Adam and Eve, one human race, <clears throat> excuse me, one seed, so to speak, coming together in unity and man, husband and wife from Adam and Eve. And then from there, we all went to different geographies around the world and started to take on these different characteristics. And so, uh, but we are all from one race. So, but atheists uh, and, and those who hate God completely reject that notion. And therefore, uh, if you're an atheist, you believe that, that there is racist or racial distinctions. You inherently believe that because you say, look, you know, some people evolve faster than others and, and all of that. And so we have all this, this racial distinction between us and we're not one. And therefore, because uh, even though we're all fully evolved now, some people are still treated badly. And, and so what we're seeing today is a, a lot of racial tension purpose. Now, to your point, I'm getting to your point. It is being purposely agitated and purposely made as chaotic as possible. Because their goal is to uh, bring us into this sort of one world uh, global mindset that, you know, if you if your listeners would look at the World Economic Forum and, uh, you know, Council of Foreign Relations and all these other sort of globalist entities, the UN, uh, you'll see the agenda behind that. So the way that they the, the quickest way they can do that is to have as much chaos as possible between uh, races and genders and societies in general, and then uh, have the president or the statesman or whoever in, in those territories raise their hand and say, look, my particular state or, or nation state is, is out of control. I need, I need you know, help, a global force to come in and help with this. And that's, that's how they're doing it. So I hope right. that, I hope that I answered that. Hope no, interest. I mean, you know, a house divided against itself can't stand. And if you divide people and now make people have to justify their points of view, I mean, think about what life would be like without different ethnicities, Italian food, Chinese food, oh, soul so food, bland. you know, oh. yeah, absolutely. So God put diversity there because that's part of his plan. 
But I'm wondering, Kevin, how much do you, how much of a factor do you think public education, the textbooks that are used, both history and science, have played into these misconceptions about these players and have actually polarized our society? Uh, huge, huge, um, so huge. Let me give you a couple of data points. Uh, we cannot underestimate Darwin. Now, his theories have been largely debunked, even by the scientific community, but they still have them. Okay, here's the thing. We cannot underestimate the 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 how compelling and seductive his line of thinking is for almost anybody. Now, let me go into a little bit more detail. Karl Marx and Engels actually both came from a Protestant background. Karl Marx was literally, he was like a choir boy for the Anglican, you know, religion, right? Uh, growing up. And he had some profound biblical writings and, and all of that. Um, but when he read Darwin, it completely changed him. I mean, it was lights on, there is no God, and boom, I am going all the way in with my grotesque demonism, right? Now, that's just one data point. Here's some others for you. Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, all came from Protestant or Catholic backgrounds, whereby they actually did believe in God. And they, you know, as young men, as young boys and men, okay? When they read Darwin, completely changed it. Modern day, let me give you some modern day. Uh, Hugh Hefner, he was, until he died, he was, a you know, the Playboy guy, right? The president of Playboy. He said when, he, and he was, he was, he grew up in a Protestant home, was a great, you know, Christian boy. He, he called, you know, he's, that's how he labeled himself. And, but when he read Darwin, completely changed him. And you see how he ended up, right? Playboy and everything else. So, so the point is, is that we may think these, these, these theories, these, these ideas that Darwin had are just, they've been debunked and it's, it's no big deal. They're relatively benign because nobody really takes them serious. When you read Darwin, your life, if, if you open yourself to it, your life can change and it, it, it becomes, it becomes you. 90% of all scientists today, uh, identify as atheists. The gross majority of them identify with Darwin's theories, at least some aspect of it. Darwin is really, really, uh, and his theories are throughout our culture and society and throughout our world. You see the depopulationists right now in World Economic Forum and all these other global entities that I talk about. They're Darwinists. They're social Darwinists. Uh, they actually do believe that there is a, a more of an elite kind of thinker and person. And those people are fully evolved. And all the rest of us, you know, we're just plebes and, you know, we'll eat bugs and be happy and we won't own anything and be happy. And this is what they say. Right. Uh, and this is how they treat, you know, how they intend to treat us ultimately when they get into this reset mode. And, and so it, it is uh, it's, it's problematic to this very day. Our ideas about racism and white supremacy literally comes from this. It's social Darwinism. It comes from this. And the only way we can escape it is that we actually bring out these truths and we demand that, okay, if you're not a white supremacist or a racist, great. Do what I do. Stand up and renounce and denounce Darwin 
and stand up and renounce and denounce, and I'd say publicly, Karl Marx. And if you do that, and then stand up and renounce and denounce abortion in any of its ways, sterilization or depopulation and however it's manifested in your part of the world. And if you will not, guess what? You just own it. It's just your, <laughs> you are a white supremacist. You can't even, it's not even us being pejorative, not us launching any, you know, negative tropes towards them. This is just what it is by definition. Right. You, you understand what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. In other words, you're asking people to be consistent in their world and life view, and that becomes inconvenient. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Very inconvenient. Yeah. Here's something that um, I think is interesting. How are we going to solve this? Well, like anything else, it comes from turning your life over to Christ yeah. and then living your life according to God's word. So the second commandment is often overlooked by people because it actually has prophecy right in it. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Well, I don't know how many generations we are from Darwin, but we're at least the third and fourth generation. Yes. But that's not where the, the, the statement ends, but showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So in other words, the answer to this problem has everything to do with biblical faith and biblical law and the application of it. So we're not going to do it really and truly, Kevin, by having better arguments than the bad guys. Right. But we have to ask Christians to right. be consistent. Right. Because if they won't be consistent with the book that they say is their guide for life, and then you show them, wait a minute, Marx, Engels, Darwin, they did not love Jesus Christ. In fact, they expressly hated him. They expressly hated him. Uh, Charles Darwin says, I'm at war with God. That's my quest in life. That's what, you know, that's what he said. That's his word. And, and Marx said, uh, my number one goal in life, I don't care anything about my economic philosophies in comparison to my number one goal, which is I want to dethrone God. Period. Hard stop. End of story. There is no God. We need to dethrone any resemblance or any semblance of, of a God idea. This is, this is Marx. So if you accept any Marxism whatsoever, you are participating in demonism. And I wish it were not so inconvenient for you. But that is a fact, and you cannot escape it, okay? So here's the problem that we have, Andrea. In the body of Christ, to your point, we have 40%, 40% of black churches that fully, that, that you know, embrace to whatever degree, but they embrace Black liberation theology. Now, black liberation theology, for those that you don't know, I would encourage you to do your own research. And Andrea, I'm not going to take her in a, a whole rabbit trail here and get off on that. But just, just Google James Cone, black liberation theology, and you will see it's South American Marxism. And it is absolutely positively racist and it's inescapable. Okay. That's just what it is. I can't, I can't define it any other way. That's what it is. So. So the problem that we have, or we have so many churches that think that they're being woke and, and, and being sensitive to culture and, and all of this, Generation Z, we want to make sure we open it. Listen, you are channeling demonism, it, it, and that's what it is, okay? So 
the only way we're going to get out of that for you people that believe in that garbage, that demonistic, satanic, Luciferian garbage from black liberation theology or liberation theology generally, which comes through the Catholic Church, then you must repent and walk away from that and reject it wholeheartedly and completely. Otherwise, you know, you're really serving another God that I mean, you know. That's what it is, Andrea. Right, so, right. So, so, uh, um, you certainly can't be accused of sugarcoating this message. Yeah, no, not at all. And, and here's, 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 here's what we saw in the last election. We saw people like, uh, Creflo Dollar who would invite Stacey Abrams into his church. He would herald her. Now, it's Stacey Abrams running for governor in, in Georgia. And she was a diehard pro-abortionist. She is. I think she def- even defined herself either as a socialist or Marxist. But bottom line is, she is in complete uh, embrace of Marxism and absolutely abortion, absolutely positively, unequivocally. And so Creflo Dollar, supposedly a man of God, heralds her and says, you're going to be our next governor and, and, and encourage support for her. Then we had T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes had Beto O'Rourke. In his, in his sanctuary, he asked Beto to stand up and encourage people. Hey, you know, Beto's running. This is our man, blah, blah, blah. Are you kidding me? Beto O'Rourke is the most Luciferian, demonic guy I've seen in recent years running in, in any election. And yet we had these purported men of God. I have to put quote unquote, but my, I know your listeners can't see me, uh, you know, standing with these guys. So, so the body of Christ is really, really divided. I also had a, a, a good, uh, friend of mine who went to, uh, uh, TD Jakes and Rick Warren. They had a special pastor's, uh, gathering, uh, private, private gathering, uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, maybe it's a month ago now. It was right, right before Christmas. And the gathering, uh, basically at the end of the day, they talked about how the only way we're, go- we're going to unify is to provide reparations. Uh, to your point, Andrea, they didn't talk about unity through Ephesians 2.14 to 2021, uh, that Jesus already did it, that we're fully reconciled, that we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, they didn't, they didn't go into, um, what the Bible says. They went right into what the culture is saying, what the culture is demanding. And so, we had a lot of pastors, over 240 some odd pastors on that, that, that really, uh, you know, were, were saying, look, reparation is the only way we're going to unify. And, and that's all Marxist. So we, you know, I hope this message gets out. I hope more people would be inclined to read the book, uh, and listen to you because we need cogent voices that are biblically minded to force people of faith to get into that Bible and find the truth. It's there. Yes. Yes. And let me just add this. Why I think a lack of biblical knowledge. I mean, it's, it's fine. You hear in a lot of churches, Jesus loves you. He died for your sins, but they don't go much beyond that. Okay. So now you're saved. Are you saved to have a nice day or are you saved to do the work of the kingdom? And in actual fact, if you know biblical law, you know that you don't punish the children for the sins of the fathers. So this reparation movement, I used to joke with people and say, my family came to America 
um, in the early 1900s from Italy. So they didn't have any part of the civil war, the racial conflict. Now, don't get me wrong. Maybe some of them oppressed other people, other places. But to say that at this point, I owe reparations really and truly is a hallmark of pagan atheistic um, philosophy because, as you pointed out, they don't want reconciliation. They want division. Yes, absolutely. And that is a huge, huge problem. Again, relying on culture to provide us with answers. Uh, and culture is relying on Luciferian, Marxist, Darwinistic mindsets. This, this is, we're, Andrea, we're really, uh, I don't, you know, we're really messed up right now. But I, I got to say this, Kevin. Okay. A lot of people, because of circumstances that have happened with COVID and with legislation and, and all other things that have been going on are waking up, but it's very hard for them to divorce themselves from the guilt they have been made to feel. And the truth is, if you are in Christ, nobody can make you be guilty. You have right. to agree to give up the fact that he paid it all. That's right. That's right. So either, and this is the conversation I have with people of faith and with pastors, especially either what Jesus did and his gospel are wholly sufficient or it isn't. Now, if you say what you say, the gospel is sufficient, the cross is sufficient, then why is it so hard for us to get on with Ephesians 2, 14? Why is it, which talks about Jesus reconciling uh, male and female, Jew and Gentile, basically heaven and earth. He reconciled everything unto himself. So the, the racial reconciliation, that's already been done, right? Um, if we, if we, if we're biblically minded and relying on the Bible, that's just, it's, it's done. Now, can we improve on, can, can we make incremental improvements on our commitment to, uh, embracing that? Of course. But to say that, uh, we don't have racial reconciliation. We need to, you know, we need to be, no, well, if we all relied on Jesus and his sufficiency, then we really would be reconciled. But so many of us don't. So many of us don't even read. So, um, you know, and, and Galatians 3, 25, 28, you know, talks about that as well. And other, there's so many other places, right? Right. Um, and, and yet we'd rather rely on the culture to dictate the terms for unity, uh, as opposed to relying on the sufficiency of the cross and the gospel message to confirm unity. Yes. So there's this expression. Sometimes it's attributed to Mark Twain. Who knows if he's the one who said it, but it's, it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they've been fooled. And I mm -hmm. believe that there are probably a lot of people who have bought into the movements that you referred to. So. What do you think the approach? I'm sure most of my listeners aren't in opposition to what you're thinking, but they know lots of people who have bought into this other perspective. So what do you say? What's the approach they should take other than, hey, go get my book and you'll have some talking points? No, no, the approach. So here's the thing. Um, we uh, we all want to be able to uh, think biblically, live biblically, embrace the full gospel message if we're people of faith. So 
the first thing that we need to do, though, is to um, is to be fully equipped with our talking points, with our understanding about what's going on. Uh, I would only say the book because the book is really helps unravel things and give you proper perspective. Now, um, after you have that, then you're going to be confronted with yourself. Uh, what do you need to do individually? You've been embracing this theology or this ideology and the other uh, that you now see are antithetical. So, Holy Spirit is dealing with you about what you need to do. The best thing that people can and should do is to say, look, I reject all, all of this woke stuff. It's, it's, it's nothing to me because I see where it comes from. It comes from the realm, uh, the demonic realm. It, it carries a Luciferian spirit and my embrace of it, it, it takes me out of my relationship with God. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Cannot produce good food. Absolutely. And so that's the, the number one thing is we need to repent. We need to forgive. Uh, what the Lord dealt with me on about a year or so ago is, is look, son, uh, we will not it's critical race theory, social justice, black liberation. theology. None of these things would exist if my children actually literally embraced a heart that forgives. And I thought about that. I thought, that is profound. That's absolutely true. Think about this. How are you going to uh, say that you have ought against, you know, what happened in the 1800s, slavery, and then all white people thereafter when you are embracing a heart that forgives? I mean, literally, it, it, you, you, you can't. You can't. I mean, if you really forgive, then what happened in the 1800s is just part of our history. And it's horrible. It's abhorrent. But... You you don't have anything to do with it. You, 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 all of that, in, from a personal perspective, has already been dealt with. It's been forgiven. It's over. Um, uh, black liberation theology, why would you try to divide people, especially people of faith, and have them adopt this sort of fallen Marxist ideology when we're supposed to ha have a heart that forgives? So, you know, forgiveness is really what we must get to. Uh, we got to repent. We got to forgive. And then we can actually begin to unify. Because then we have a spirit of a heart of love and not a heart of bitterness and agreement. And so that's what can produce it. But we have to take the first steps first. Now, fortunately, what we're doing at every Black Life Matters, we're going around the country and we're helping organizations, small groups and churches to understand how to do this. Right. Because it's not it's not just common knowledge. It's not just normal uh, that you'll get this sort of understanding. So what we do is we go into these these environments and we we do a um, uh, a training and certification. And what that means is we'll literally train you and then certify you. So if you get asked by your employer, or you get asked by this group or that, hey, have you been through any racial sensitivity training? We're thinking about doing it. You can say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, every Black Life Matters actually uh, took me through the training. I went through all six modules and I've been certified. Here's my certification for it. And so we're, we're literally doing this in San Jose. I think you live around that area. Yep. Um, at, um, and I'll send you information that you could probably add a link, sure. uh, uh, for your listeners. So if they want to go, it's free. Just, just come out and, and, and you'll get a real sense of what that training is and all that. We will not be certifying you that day, but we will train you and, uh, we'll help you to understand how to, how, do, how does this thing really look and how do you how do you do this? And then from that, you'll have the ability then to refer us to employers or 
businesses or whatever. And, 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 and then, but more importantly for you, you'll have the solutions for how to overcome and, and mitigate the bitterness, the hatred, the vitriol, the aggrievement uh, in your own heart and, uh, and really be fully reconciled and unified uh, one to another. Okay. So how do people get a hold of you? I'm sure you have given people questions that maybe we didn't get a chance to get around to. Yeah. Um, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, best way is to call, or excuse me, um, uh, the website, everyblm.com, everyblm.com. Uh, second way is I actually have a YouTube channel. It's called Y'all Woked Up, Y-A-L-L, <laughs> Woked Up, uh, on YouTube. And you should go to that channel and subscribe to that. I've got uh, hundreds of YouTubes uh, of, of, of messages out there, hundreds. And they're just one-minute clips of, of, of what's happening culturally in that. So it's one-minute clips, uh, current events, news, and that kind of thing, giving you a good overview in just one minute. Uh, so then you could use that um, and, and be kept up to date. And it, it's all of the one-minute uh, sort of uh, things that I do are non-woke, so you get the real perspective. Okay. The other the other way to con- contact us, so you can contact us through our website. Please pray for us. If you're so inclined, please uh, please provide you know support us uh, in whatever way uh, that you feel inclined to do so. We appreciate that. So website, y'all woke up, and then of course get the book. It's on Amazon. It takes you two days to get the delivery, uh, but you need the talking points. Everything is footnoted. Everything is 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 fully. It's there. I mean, you can do your own research. It's not. You know, so you'll have the fullness of the capacity then to uh, stand firm with with those leftist, progressive friends, family, neighbors and whatever and help bring them along with the truth. You know, say, look, go, go to this website, go to this, take a look at this, take a look at this private letter, take a look at this quote, but, you know, and, and start to really help people uh, uh, really understand what's going on with this stuff. Very good. Now, before we go, I have a question for you. You didn't include this in your book, but I've watched. I don't think I've watched all hundred of your YouTube, but I've watched a number of it, a number of them. You pointed out that your upbringing didn't amount to a Hallmark movie. You, you, you weren't in the Hallmark family. So I'm sure a lot of people are saying, where did you come from? How did yeah. you get this point of view? So kind of take that trail and, and let us know what it was like growing up and how you developed your commitment to Christ and your orientation to how you live. Well, that's a great question. So uh, I was born and raised in the 1960s in the Hunters Point Project Housing, and that you know, for anybody who who understood back in those times, that was where the uh, the headquarters for the Black Panther movement was. Okay, so it was the, the projects up there in Hunters Point in San Francisco, and uh, so I was there for the first uh, you know seven years of my life. Then we moved to a lower middle-class neighborhood, um, you know, it's still in San Francisco. And I went to a public school and I just did all of the basic urban uh, stuff that your typical urbanite, you know, kind of crazy, uh, you know, boy from the hood kind of guy would do. So I did all these things and I'm not proud of, but, and I was a, you know, a bully of sorts and I just loved to kind of scrap and get into it because, you know, I wasn't angry, but I, I just, I was the type of guy who just wouldn't take anything from anybody. So if you, if you wanted to, you know, step to me, then we'd get at it, you know? So it was just kind of like that. It was, it was crazy. So anyway, um, 
I did that. Uh, then went to San Jose State um, because I was, you know, my father, although he was an alcoholic, all of my formative years, he's great now. I mean, he's, he and my mother are still married, sixty-two years, still live in the city, and he's he's got, you know, he's done very very well. But back then, he was alcoholic, and, and uh, but he came home every single day. So I stayed in school, got good grades because my mother would threaten me, "Look, I'm going to have your daddy get to you. You don't bring them grades home." So. So I got good grades and then ultimately went to San Jose State, got a sociology degree. So I under, fully understand Marxism, fully understand propaganda and, and brainwashing, fully understand abject poverty, fully understand urban living. Uh, this brother was not born with a silver spoon uh, in his mouth. Uh, you know, I, I get it. I mean, I was a leftist, progressive Democrat all my life up until the time I got married. My wife is a psych major, a psych degree, and I have a sociology degree and we but we decided, look, we're going to live strictly biblically for our household. And so we, we got discipled. And, and as part of that process, we took a look at every area of our life. And uh, we really felt the Lord was illuminating our civic engagement. And from there, we went and took a look at the various platforms of the parties and realized that we were doing things that were not only antithetical, we were voting in ways that were antithetical, but also disempowering for the black community, for communities that we supposedly love and and recognize that there's there's some systemic plights that are directed towards it. And we felt that uh, really the way that we had were voting and the way that we were supporting um, or, you know, doing our civic engagement was actually not not only not biblical, but it was completely the opposite of what the black community really needs in order to come up and and actually start to succeed in, in many other ways. And so um, uh, we we rejected um, you know, our, our leftist progressivism. And, um, you know, ever since uh, Reagan's second term, we've been uh, we've been voting biblically. Now, your your listeners can infer what that may mean. But what it means for us is, look, uh, we don't really care about parties, per se. It's not for us. It's not an ideological argument. It's uh, who most closely aligns with the word of God. And whoever that is, even if it's inconvenient, that's how we're going to vote, period. Hard stop, end of story. And so um, because we live for God, we don't live for ourselves. I don't care emotionally whether there's a, a black man or a black woman running or a female. or yeah, that, that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, we vote bi- biblically. And so uh, we've been doing that. And then uh, since that time, uh, I've been writing books. The Lord has been giving me books to write. This is the fifth one. And, um, and that's, that's just a supernatural process unto itself. All my books have taken less than 10 weeks to write. Uh, this one is right on that, about 10 weeks. Uh, and that's start to finish with all of research. And some people would say, well, don't you get writer's block? And how did you do that? And I say, no, no, I don't, not at all, because it's just a download from the spirit. Mm-hmm. And so literally my fingers are going and my mind is trying to catch up. And, and trying to understand what's being said. I mean, it, it, it's kind of spooky for, for people who don't understand that. But for me, that's the only way I can write. I'm really not a writer and I'm not a researcher, but but I can be a conduit uh, for God to kind of do his work. And uh, that's how all my books were, have been written. And so I don't get stuck with writer's block or this idea or that idea. And how do I expound on this? And what do I need? It's it's just whatever the Lord wants to write, I'm available and he'll, he'll use me to put out whatever he wants to say. So That's great. And I think it demystifies the idea that um, people can't change. You yeah. obviously changed. You and your wife 
changed. So yes. we have to believe that if you are one of God's elect, when you get face to face with the truth, the Holy Spirit will have you respond. And I think it probably makes you a great spokesman for EBLM because you're not speaking as somebody who never experienced all the grievances that are real. Right. But you now have a different category. You say, praise God, this is what led me to Christ. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just a wonderful pathway that the Lord has myself and Neil and the rest of the EBLM team on. We, uh, we relish being at the tip of the spear in culture. We understand that there's a lot of people out there that really don't know what to do or they can't because they happen to be of a different uh, paint job. And they feel that if they were to go out and say some of the things that we say, that they would be canceled, docs, and all of these other types of things. And so uh, they partner with us and they say, look, you guys are doing hard work. And we are. We go out. We we don't care when, where, how, who. Right. We will go out anywhere and do uh, and help people understand what's really going on and express biblical truth um, and express truth to power and truth to what's happening right now in culture. Yeah, I love it. A different paint job. That's a great way to say it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's all it is. <laughs> That's all it is. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. And listeners, I would encourage you to go to his website. I would encourage you to read the book and just open your mind to realizing that a lot of what you think is true maybe just isn't true. And it helps you see how God raises up people to do his work and that uh, we can benefit from that. Absolutely. Yes. Very good. So uh, thank you. Thank you uh, again, Andrea, for having me. And wow, it's uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing you in a few weeks when we're down there doing some training and, and maybe yes. we get a chance to, to participate or come through. That'd be awesome. Excellent. Well, listeners, as always, if you wish to contact us, the email is out of the question podcast at gmail.com. And I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.